everyone, and welcome to another Plot Devices mini-sode. Again, we have no name for this yet. I guess they're batisodes now. We'll, we'll figure it out eventually. My name is Brandon King. I am one of your hosts today, alongside my co-host, Noah Guzman. Noah, how are you today? Happy. As you might have heard in the episode that is probably on air as you're listening to this right now, if not, then this is our spoiler Batman review. We had a lot to discuss. It's a three-hour movie. Also joining us today, you might remember him from our No Time to Die review. You might know him from the No Capes Required podcast, among a bunch of other cool things. Sky Merida is back here. Sky, how are you today? I'm doing bat-tastic, and that will be the only pun I will use for this episode, so it stops there. I will hold you to it. Also joining us, a dear friend of mine, in my opinion, maybe the most knowledgeable of all of us, because she comes in from a very unique perspective, Danielle Buckingham is joining us today. Danielle, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to be here. Very glad to have you. Uh, so yeah, basically, we're just going to be delving into all things the Batman. Uh, Noah's going to be helping us with structure. We're going to hopefully keep this under a half an hour. We're going to linger. It's going to happen. But yeah, this is a movie that has a lot to talk about, a lot of backstory, a lot of things within it. Uh, Noah, I want to go over to you first. We were discussing on our actual uh, abridged review earlier a lot of things about the history of this, a lot of the anticipation behind this. Where were you coming into the Batman about this, and how much of an expectations did it live up or not live up to? My expectations for Matt Reeves' Batman was, okay, you're coming in and you're not including any of the you know universe that DC has already been trying to set for themselves. Um, but I was ready for an independent Batman story again. I don't think that the character has been done to death. And then hearing about the casting announcements, you know, I freaked out when Robert Pattinson was attached to Batman because I thought, what? Is he going to do this? And then he did it. And so, you know, he lived, like he like soared through those expectations. And then Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, I put her high up on my list being like, okay, she's going to sell it. And sell it, she did. Jeffrey Wright, loving the voice, the man's voice is like a lullaby to me. I'll watch Westworld and just pass out. Um, but no, I mean, expectations were kind of high for this film and it felt rightfully placed because of the, I would say like, the effort what that had gone into production, I think even throughout the pandemic, I think Pattinson might've gotten COVID uh, during the filming of this. I feel like that was a headline somewhere, um, but no, just approaching this, I was ready. You know, it wasn't my most anticipated film for this year. I don't even think it made my short list, but it was definitely something I was keeping my eye on and I'm happy to be here today. And I can't wait till we dive into like the grittiness of it. It's funny because knowing the development process this went through, you know, with the Affleck era, with the whole DC shakeup and now with Reeves attached, I was wondering, like, do we need this? Like, Nolan's trilogy was not that far behind. We saw the Snyderverse kind of in the wings. We didn't know if Snyder's Justice League was going to be a thing. So now that this is a thing, it feels more of like almost a fever dream that's actually happening than it actually exists. But like, I'm glad it does. And I mentioned this in the non-spoiler review. This movie rules. I cannot wait to dive into it. But uh, Sky, over to you again with the whole process behind it. What do you think? Yeah, no. So I guess I was a little bit more lukewarm than people about like my anticipation for this movie. I was just like, okay, like, you know, the trailers look cool. Definitely. This is a very interesting cast. Um, there's obviously a lot to like about Matt Reeves, the director who directed, in my opinion, a great trilogy in the Planet of the Apes trilogy. Uh, so no, there was a lot to like on paper. And yeah, I guess, you know, I thought it was a good movie. I don't think I loved it as much as everybody else did, but definitely I think it was um, a good take. Uh, I really like the detective aspect of it. I'm sure you mentioned it on this show. Like, this is, I think, the one thing that separates it from other Batman movies is that this is really a true-to-form detective movie, and we get that side of it. You know, I actually did like uh, Batman's character arc in this starting out, you know, since this is spoilers, obviously starting out in the movie as a man dead set on like, you know, being the, the embodiment of vengeance. 
Um, and then ending the film being, you know, realizing that he has to become more than that to, you know, save the city of Gotham. So, no, there was definitely a lot I liked about it. I wouldn't say it's my favorite Batman movie of all time, but definitely I think it's it's good. I think I come from an interesting perspective in that I don't really like Batman. I've seen quite a few movies. I do not remember any of them, to be honest with you. I don't care enough to rewatch Um I mostly just really don't like the Joker. So for me, when this was announced as Robert Pattinson being Batman, I am a huge Twilight fan. I love Robert Pattinson. So I was like, man, now I have to go see this movie that I wouldn't have seen otherwise just for him. And I absolutely loved it. I knew he was going to kill it as Batman. I didn't know how I would feel about the rest of it. But man, I, I left that theater just last night, like just feeling so great about this movie. Like it's I, I really liked it, um, which is kind of unexpected for me. <laughs> You might have the freshest perspective because myself, I saw it, I think, you know, the Thursday before we recorded this. So that's like a week and a couple of days ago. Uh, how about you others? You know, wh- how fresh are you coming to this uh, conversation? I saw it opening night. So I yeah, saw it pretty much, I guess, unless so I guess, Brandon, you saw like the screening. So you probably saw it before everybody else. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. I saw the press screening like two weeks ago. <laughs> and I, and yeah. I did try... I did try and get out a repeat viewing because I'm like, oh, a lot of this is going to go out of my head. But like, no, it's still very fresh. Yeah, right. the reason it, it's still fresh in my mind, too, because obviously I think that my brother loved the movie even more than me because he kept on like texting me like different Batman updates. And it seems like he's already like because he's a screenwriter, he's already like got something planned. And it's just like, um, you know, it's just um, obviously a lot of people are very excited about it. So. Coming up to this Batman discussion, I thought that we could kind of have, you know, gates are open, water's flooding Gotham. We could talk about all the things that uh-huh. we, we know. We know for sure this is going to be a spoiler-filled review. So, uh, you know, really hold no bars when it comes to the ideas that you want to share. Um, this is your warning. Any listener that is listening to this, you should go listen to our abridged version on the regular pod, then go see the movie, and then approach this approach this conversation just like so that you understand all the points that we're coming from. Uh, first topic I kind of want to discuss is around setting, um, the settings in Gotham, the themes here, and additional production details that you thought were either to the level that you needed or to the level that you like didn't expect from uh, Matt Reeves. I think that approaching this new Batman in a very centralized Gotham story, um, it's worth noting some of those um some of those marks that stuck out to you. So uh, Brandon, over to you first, what did you find notable around the settings and around Gotham like itself? The way Matt Reeves uses alleyways is something that Burton and Nolan and a lot of other Batman incarnations have tried using before, but never to the extent of like horror before. Like I think that opening scene is so prevalent to who Pattinson's incarnation is. He's half boogeyman, half guardian angel. And I think Reeves knows that. I think he utilizes the darkness in such effective ways and credit to a, James Kinland, I believe, is the production designer who did the, the War of the Planet Apes movies as well. He does immaculate work with this. Um, and frankly, I don't mean to like badmouth other incarnations, but it kind of puts Todd Phillips' Gotham to shame because this is so much more distinct and flashy, but in all the right ways. I made the comparison after I came out of the theater. It feels like the Gotham that Tim Burton would have made if he made those Batman movies today. Just between like the use of shadows of it all and the way that the buildings sort of interact, the way the stadium, they kind of build it up as like the centerpiece of the city, like the monorail was in the Nolan movies. It's really special in what they do with this. It's definitely like a modern Gotham, but kind of with, I don't know, in my opinion, I got sort of like a, how do I explain it? Like a punk rock atmosphere, sort of like, I mean, 
Yeah, the uh, the, you have this obviously the first time that we see Gotham like in full. There's like a lot of screens that you can obviously tell. Okay, this is a modern setting. It's still dark though, and I mean the whole movie's dark basically. There's only like you can count on your your one hand how many times you see the sun probably in this movie. But um, no, I mean it's definitely what Matt Reeves is going for. He's going for a Batman movie with this uh, very dark, cool noir atmosphere. Off on a little bit of a tangent, but. I would have liked to see just maybe a little more of Bruce Wayne personally in this movie. Cause the thing is, I agree that Robert Pattinson did well in his role. The only thing is I feel like he's playing one side of the character particularly and not necessarily the Bruce Wayne side. And that's more on the writing. I feel like they really wanted this to be focused as a Batman movie, but I would like to see more of a balance. What Christian Bale kind of did uh, well in those like Nolan movies or what I liked at least was, you know, that he was able to balance like, you know, both Bruce Wayne. We got to see the suits, different sides of that Batman and the, the Bruce Wayne persona. And obviously a lot of villains bring up all the time and other people say that, OK, Batman is Bruce or Bruce Wayne is Batman's mask. And I agree with that. But the problem is, I don't feel like we see that in this movie. It seems like he's really Batman. And in the times that we see him as Bruce Wayne. His personality is pretty much like Batman's. You know, he's kind of an isolated, not really uh, fun Bruce Wayne. Is instead of the carefree, charismatic guy that we know that Bruce Wayne persona to be. So, I guess my feel my feeling is that I guess I'm just looking at it from the perspective of a cop. If I'm a cop in Gotham, the reason that I think Bruce Wayne's persona is such a great alter ego for Batman is because. I, you know, no one would really recognize that, oh, this carefree, like, you know, no nonsense playboy or this carefree playboy is not going to be this dark vigilante. Whereas this isolated loner, you would say, hmm, that guy might be a suspect. I feel you. There's definitely a nature of like plays well with others to Bruce Wayne that I got from Christian Bale. Like he was suave. He almost like Bond-esque kind of vibe from him. But when it comes to Robert Pattinson's, it's, he's not, he's not, he doesn't give off that approachable flair. If anything, he's like just the shadow in the background, even when he's not Batman. I mean, I really liked just like everyone else, the really like dark, you know, detective noir um, kind of thing that they had going on. This is like a little bit of a tangent, but one thing that I, that really stood out to me about this movie was the way that it focuses on the systemic issues that Gotham is facing and the reasons why it is such a dangerous city. And I think that there was a really interesting dichotomy in like how Bruce Wayne as a rich white man benefits from that system and how Batman is trying to tackle that system and how he believes in his community and believes that his city can change even if no one else does. So um, that the way that they portrayed Gotham and the issues that it's facing, I really love that aspect of the movie. One note I wanted to mention was in Gotham, I liked that throughout the movie, you know, we, we have a journey of a movie to, to chop through here, but you, you saw Gotham's decline just in the public, like, or from the public eye. Like I liked all the street level views that we had of, um, of people applying graffiti to what looked like, you know, like a, a, a a government building or something like that. Well, like, I, man. Liked to, I like to see all of the, the city's chaos, like slowly be, be, be occurring because I, to my head, like Gotham is the city. That's like, there's always just stuff going down. I mean, you have all these villains that of course uh, exists in the video game franchises and in the comic books, and then shooing in like these characters of Gordon, Catwoman and Batman. 
I wanted to see their playing field. And every time we were shown, like Brandon says, the alleys, um, how heavy all that rain is. It's just, it's such a messy movie setting wise. It fits so well. And that's, that's part of the reason why I was appreciated because it was a different take for what Batman's like playing field was. Moving on now, we can get into some of those, like, yeah, they do work in like systemic issues in the plot involving the Riddler's victims. Um, So here I have down for the plot, being a detective story that centralizes Batman's like his decoding abilities, his detective noir nature, um, and being an outside perspective to Gotham. uh, How did you think that like that benefited the plot or what are some of your notes around uh, what those heavy turning points were for you? Uh, Were you on board with the, with the, you know, killings of the Riddler? Like, did you feel like that was enough to keep you going? Uh, And we'll kind of go in reverse order now, Danielle, uh, regarding the plot, like what were those big shock moments? What did you find yourself tied to? That was like one of the things that I really liked about it, because I think that it's important to address why Gotham is such a dangerous city and why there is so much going on. And the fact that Batman does his best to try to fix it, but he also is Bruce Wayne. He is a very privileged man And I think that the way that they tried to address like both of those aspects of him with him being one of the victims of the Riddler, Bruce Wayne is a victim of the Riddler, but the Riddler sees Batman as helping him. So that dichotomy, I just thought was like brilliant. Because in my head, the Riddler knew Bruce Wayne was Batman. I was unsure about that. Um, I think that what they're trying to get at at the end is that they're trying to make you think that he knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman, but then... Um, when he said like Bruce Wayne is the only one we didn't get. I think that was their way of saying that he doesn't know. Um, But what I also thought was interesting, this kind of getting at um, Sky's point about Bruce not really like being a super solid character. In my interpretation was that that was kind of the point. Like, I think the point that they were kind of trying to make is that he's just like this Batman persona has taken over his life to the point where Bruce Wayne is like not really important anymore. But I really hope that in the future, that's something that they kind of like that they address that, that, you know, we kind of get to see a little bit of like him struggling with, is he Bruce Wayne? Is he Batman? What is the difference? How does he fit both aspects of his identity into his life? I actually had that question because when I saw the movie for the first time, I actually did have this understanding that the Riddler knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. But then after like discussing it with my brother afterwards and him sending me an article, it seems like there's actually that might not be the case. And I wish they would have made that clear in the movie because now to me, it's not clear at all. I did want to quickly bring up the point that, uh, that Danielle was bringing up. The idea of Riddler and Gotham seeing Batman as a certain thing and he seeing himself as something else, because I don't think in the end it necessarily matters because the story, you know, as we get to the end, you know, Bruce's identity is not the focal point. It's Riddler's uh, plan that's the focal point. And I think the idea of Bruce's identity becomes kind of a non-issue. Like there is a, there's a reason it's in the marketing because for us, it's like, oh God, the villain knows who Bruce Wayne is. That stakes. But at the same time, at the end, it doesn't really matter because it matters how Bruce sees himself, how he sees the Batman identity and how people like um, how Mayor Rael, uh, played by Jamie Lawson, who I want to get into later, like how people like her and the Riddler and Commissioner Gordon look at Batman as, again, this kind of boogeyman guardian angel figure who doesn't really need to be explored beyond what he does. And I mean, yes, the Nolan trilogy kind of went into that with, you know, it's the actions that define me kind of thing. But like, I like how Reeves addresses it in this kind of context that tease about him like you know of alfred dying 
was that really necessary in the grand scheme of things? Because ultimately they, they didn't really do anything with it. I know that leads into a, a heart-to-heart conversation between Alfred and Bruce Wayne, which I know is important, but it seems like, at least to me, it seems like that could have been touched on in another scene in the movie and you didn't really have to tease the whole Alfred death. I think we're coming from the same place, Sky. Uh, my reaction on our bridge version was that if it felt like something was un- was not needed for this for this iteration of Batman's um, like historian Gotham, I felt it was that Alfred connection. Like it's there because we need to see a vulnerable side to Batman that it, that is connected to his past. Like Alfred sort of raised him and he has like this, this connective to him, connective tissue to him, like a family member, or he is a family member. And, um, but I think in moments of vulnerability, like we even get that a little bit with Catwoman. Like I, I didn't feel like I absolutely needed it from Alfred. It did feel like just a chapter in the story that was taking us away from the larger issue at hand that involved Gordon, that involved um, Selena, Carmine. Like later on, we're going to get into discussions of the characters who aren't like the central characters, because I do want to talk about Bella Real. Um, but no, I think I'm coming from the same place there where I thought that if, if it came to lighter, lighter pieces of the movie, that was a piece that I felt could have been could have been removed. Um, Brandon, Danielle, how did you two feel regarding the Alfred inclusion? I want to pass it on to Danielle, but I do want to quickly say I think narratively need, we need one or the other. We need either uh, we need either Alfred, Selena or Commissioner Gordon to be seriously injured for this to matter because we need Riddler to have personal stakes to Bruce. Because at that point, it's another villain. It's another serial killer in the midst of whatever Gotham has to offer. And once it gets more personal, I think, number one, we get that Alfred scene, which I do think is actually a really great scene and focuses just how much Andy Serkis is a great live action actor. But also, I think it builds more towards, again, what that narrative is, is Bruce coming to the realization that his parents' efforts are not as rock solid as he thought it was, and also solidifying the Riddler's efforts. Anyways, Danielle. Yeah, I only have a couple criticisms of the movie, and one of them was was that it was too long. I mean, I think that it was an appropriate length for the amount that was in it, which is why I think things need to be cut out, because it was way too long. Um, And I've been struggling with what I would cut out, because I did think it was a really solid movie, but you really do start to feel the length, and at some point you're like, are we going to keep adding huge plot points? Are we going to stop at some point? Um, so as for whether I would take out that part of it, I do think that it was important. I think that it added to the plot, but if we are taking out something, I do agree that like, maybe that could have been something that could have been taken out, but I do really like the fact that Bruce Wayne was one of the Riddler's victims, um, because of, like I said, the fact that he thinks the Batman is on his side, but Bruce Wayne is not. Um, so I really appreciated that. Um, if we could have had that maybe without Alfred getting injured, then sure. Um, I don't know. It's kind of difficult because I think there were a lot of good parts of this movie, but again, I do think that it was too long. And if something had to be cut, maybe it could have been that. And this background of the Riddler really makes you consider their Batman and the Riddler's upbringing being the same thing. Like they're essentially his victims are a direct correlation to what impacted his upbringing, which I think is so fascinating. Um, Speaking of things that should be cut, I'm sorry, I did not like his singing. I didn't like Paul Dano singing Ave Maria. I, that, that took me out. I was watching. And I was like, okay, restroom. Okay, restroom break. I'm gonna go grab some lemon for my popcorn. Um, I'm gonna wake. I'm gonna wake up my partner who's sleeping right next to me during the song. I mean, I didn't really think about the singing in the moment, but sort of like Danielle said, I think this movie, and I think yeah, it is like the main criticism that I think people are talking about is like you know if you're going to make a two hour, 55 minute superhero movie, you're really going to have to make it flow. And 
you do have to think about, okay, is everything we're putting in here absolutely necessary? And I'm sure that there are some people, especially opera fans, that found that scene romantic. Uh, but I would say that, you know, in, in review, maybe it didn't need to be there. But I don't know. I guess you just have to look back and just make some cuts. It's just, yeah, I guess my thing is, like, I agree with Danielle. I do think it was a little bit too long. And I feel like, you know, just shorten it down to more of a two-hour, 30-minute movie. I feel like I probably would have liked it even more. I actually think that's a good transition into the characters themselves, between the performances and the actual characters themselves. So I point this to you. Number one favorite character that you've noticed. And also a follow-up on that, which character has the best chemistry with Bruce? Uh, if I may go to Danielle first. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I, so I loved Robert Pattinson as Batman. We all knew that was coming. I love Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. We all knew that was coming as well. Um, I really liked Paul Dano as the Riddler, though. I think that one of the things that I really liked about this movie is that it kind of plays on the ridiculousness of the superhero genre in a way that's like appreciating it, but like knows that it is kind of funny. So the Ave Maria thing, while it wasn't needed, I thought it was great because it's like this guy is just like so wild. Like he's so chaotic. He's just doing these wild things and it's funny. Um, And so I really liked that. And like there were parts of this videos that Paul Dano was making, like where he was just like screaming randomly in the middle of a word. Like he was like suffering. And like, I just thought that was so funny. Like I, I really, I really liked the ridiculousness of this movie. And I thought that that made it really great. Um, as for who I thought had the best chemistry, I thought that Catwoman and Batman had great chemistry. Although one of my other criticisms of the film is I would have loved to see more Selena Kyle. I think that, she it made it feel like she was going to be more present in the movie, but there were long stretches where she just wasn't there. And then she would just kind of randomly show up. And I thought she was great. I thought Zoe Kravitz killed the performance, but I think that I was expecting more of a relationship between them that I really didn't get. Um, so that was like one of my other criticisms of the movie, I think, but I do think that what we did get to see from them was great. This might be an unpopular opinion for Noah, but um, I actually liked, <laughs> as he stares at me in the camera, um, I actually liked what we got from Colin Farrell, actually, as a penguin. I think, like, just because I think, obviously, we talked about it, this is a very dark movie, very, like, you know, noir movie. And so I feel like Penguin added a different energy to that that kind of actually does shine a light in this dark movie. Like, I think, actually... At least in my theater, they, there really wasn't many reactions. That's kind of like the different thing to compare to like this and like other, especially like in the superhero genre movies, um, blockbusters. But the one scene where I actually did hear people laugh was when Colin Farrell's Penguin was mocking Bruce Wayne and yeah, um, Jeffrey Wright for not like knowing Spanish. He's like, really? World's greatest detective? Oh, please. And so, like, I feel like he did actually have, like, these moments. And I was like, okay, like, obviously, maybe he's doing a little bit of De Niro here, but, you know, I'm kind of digging it. And so, um, I will say, though, I mean, should we already say that for the Oscars next year that the Batman should be nominated for Best Makeup? Like, because Colin Farrell <laughs> looked absolutely Probably. recognizable in, <laughs> in the role as Penguin. Yeah, he looked amazing. I'm glad, Danielle, you brought up the Riddler because I think he is unlike any modern day Batman villain in that you look at Heath Ledger, you look at Killian Murphy, you look at uh, Tom Hardy in the Nolan movies. They're very much adhering to Nolan's sense of scale, whereas Dano kind of says, screw that. Like, he's kind of just doing his own thing in this. 
And again, he's not in the movie that much, but when he is in that jailhouse scene in the, you know, the, the weird periscope live streams or whatever they are, like those work because they add that little bit of like heightened operatic villainy to the movie in contrast to Colin Farrell, who is just, again, like Scott, you bring up the Robert De Niro thing. He's very much playing like the lively New York gangster type and he, he does it well, but it's a thing of like, I had to take a little while to get used to it. Like this doesn't work. And then by the end of it, I'm like, it totally works. <laughs> Just gotta, gotta come around. Just gotta come around. After the how many how long the hours? Like it was like what the two hour fifty minute mark for you, Brandon? Out of the two hour fifty five. Yeah, I think I think the car chase comes around at like two hours, and I was like, ah, this works. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> I will say that Colin Farrell as the penguin, especially in that one scene that you were talking about where he's making fun of them for not knowing Spanish. I think that that also adds to my point about like making fun of how ridiculous these movies can be. Yeah. The part where he is he basically has like a flying squirrel outfit and he's like diving off of a building but then it doesn't really work like that it's it just some guy in a suit like that really emphasized this is just some guy in a suit and he looks like a flying squirrel and it's it really worked honestly the t- especially with like the dark tone of the movie the fact that i was able to have so much fun with it regardless was just really great he's Someone, like uh, sorry go ahead no, I was gonna say he's like, I am the shadows. I am what they fear. And there's just there's just just zooming <laughs> squirrel. Exactly, exactly my was. point. I, someone on Twitter made the theory of just like, oh yeah, he didn't. He actually crashed, and now he's dead. And the rest of the movie is all told from like the dead man's point of view. Oh, and you're reminding me like sometimes Batman has bad falls. Like they included a yeah. very bad fall for Batman, and I love that. I almost I almost forgot about it till we're till we're covering this part here. I think that ties into the idea of Pattinson's Batman, which I think we should touch on, which is the idea of he's maybe the most grimy incarnation of Batman we've gotten, at least in terms of live action. I think Pattinson is delving into the idea of the bat as like the creature in the nether realm, the person who like doesn't need to come out. And I like how willing he is to get down into it. reminded me of his performance, like the Rover or like devil all the time where he's willing to go to those depths, even if it's not Batman that we know. I wanted to cover who my favorite character was and it should come to no surprise that I am shouting from the rooftop that Zoe, <laughs> I don't know if plenty of y'all see the, saw the tweet where it's like, as soon as Zoe Kravitz came on screen, somebody in my theater moaned off, like loudly <laughs> and it was so funny. Oh. Um, not to say that that was my reaction at all. I think that she's delivering a hell of a performance in this movie. Um, after being a fan of her, we just watched Kimmy. I'm a big fan of Big Little Lies. And so I wanted to see how she approached this. It's, it's not really a hero role. I mean, Selena Kyle, to me, in this movie, she is the main character in another person's story. Like, when she comes in, she has this independence that she, um, that she, like, even earns out of Bruce Wayne whenever she is um, communicating what her agenda is, when she communicates what her uh, motivations are for going after Carmine, like some of these like smaller players that aren't directly tied to Bruce. Um, or actually, Carmine does have a threat to Bruce. But anyways, whenever whenever they were on screen together, I was focused on Catwoman because to me she was driving the scene like maybe he's bigger than her maybe he can win her um over in like a in a wrestling contest but when it came to like who was going to get their way I was always watching her because she's got that that kind of um it's more of like a what I was almost going to say like a wild card nature where she's willing to like she does dive off the ledge of a building, you know, go against what everyone else's plan is because she is the main character in her world. She wants to go after what she needs to. Um, and for the majority of this movie, it's saving her, her friend who is kind of like alluded to being like her partner. Um, 
I this think movie that is, movie... this movie is as much a bat and cat movie as it is a bat movie. Yeah, I... there's like really a Catwoman arc in this movie. That's the thing. They're like actually a Batman arc and a Catwoman arc. And I think it it's done so wonderfully. Uh, I will say though, best chemistry on screen with the Batman was Jeffrey Wright for me. I liked the back and forth of every crime scene being like all the cops are here, like kind of intimidated, but also kind of laughing because you have this beast of a, of a man in a suit walking down the hallway, like dripping wet. And then Jeffrey or Gordon is kind of just like, Hey, like, come over here. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, Hey, let's talk about these details together. He's talking to him, like just a friend. And he mentions at one point that they've only known each other for like a couple years. He doesn't even see his face, but yet they communicate like partners in this scene. And I love how Reeves just leads into, if there is any elements of detective storytelling that he leans into best. And a lot of this movie does, I think it's the dynamic between, you know, the grizzled, but morally correct cop of Gordon and the outside force in Batman. Like, that whole interrogation scene is just done so well, but that's only like the start of it. Like everything involving the Riddler is great. The way that they actually put their brains here to solve it works. And again, going back to the idea of Batman being something to someone else than himself, to Gordon, Batman is the savior of Gotham, but not to the point of like reverency. Like he's still imperfect. He still recognizes Batman's imperfections, but he knows that he needs him to a degree. I think that kind of wraps our discussion on characters. Um, I liked what you all had to say about the Riddler. I didn't have much to add to it because you all covered it so well. Um, maybe I was actually going to say, because if we're still going on characters, I want to talk about uh, John Turturro as Falcone. I think it's amazing. Uh, no disrespect to, I believe it was Tom Wilkinson who played him in the Nolan movies. Uh, but for whatever reason, I'm forgetting which, which boss was which, but he's fantastic in this. I think he's given so much more depth of character in this. I don't necessarily love the ties to him and Bruce. Like I think, the way he kind of has this web relationship to both Selena and Bruce, I think is a bit too convenient. You know, everybody in Gotham knows each other, all that, but I think it's a bit too much. Uh, but I still love the charisma. And John Turturro is an actor who can bring that level of like sleazy background character right to the forefront that Reeves knows how to use. Yeah, no, John Turturro was definitely good. I didn't even know. Did you know that John Turturro was in this movie before going in? I knew. I didn't know how big of a role he had. Yeah, I, I actually had no idea. And I just actually saw him like, Hey, it's John Turturro. I didn't even know him. He was in this movie, but okay, it's no. the guy from Transformers. <laughs> exactly. I just think Transformers when I think him. When I see him, uh, when we talk about Falcone and his connection to the characters, that was one of the tricky areas for me. At least, maybe it was the eleven o'clock showtime. I don't know. But um, entering this movie, I was kind of like. There was supposed to be a reveal around who her father was. I must have missed a line or something because for a while there, I was like. So her dad's penguin. Okay, no, no, no. It's Falcone. Does Falcone know that he's her dad? Like, I, like something didn't connect for me. And so I think that could be somebody's criticism out there. Is like this movie might be hard to connect those smaller pieces. Um, the same goes for like some of the Riddler ciphers, like the one about the rat, the Rat Man. Like that one had me going. Like, wait, how did they know to go to the website? And my friend was like, because like um, URL. And I was like what do you mean? And it was like, like a website has, is a URL. And so it had to, some of those moments I had to piece up or break apart with the people I watched it with. So if you're going at it solo, you're going to need to find someone to just be like, Hey, can you talk to me about this? Because there was some moments there where I was like, I need more of an explanation. I need a footnote. I'm actually really glad you said that because again, maybe it was just that I saw it really late last night. Like we didn't get out until midnight, but yeah, there were a couple of things where it kind of took me a little bit. Like I had to kind of think about what does that mean? And then later on in the movie, I was like, oh, oh wait, no, that makes sense. Does Sky and Brandon, did either of you feel like 
you were solving those riddles with the Batman or did you feel like you were just taking it in and kind of just like, you weren't there to solve them. You were there to see them being solved. Like, how did you feel around the ciphers and like the mystery of it all? Cause he operates like, like jigsaw, doesn't he? A little bit of both. Like I wasn't, you know, I was a little bit interested to like, Ooh, let me see if I can figure out this riddle and this one. But I also was just kind of, you know, being an observer of the movie and just like taking it in. It's like, okay, more so looking, okay, how's Batman going to like, you know, solve this one. But yeah, I guess it, if you're asking me, okay, was I putting my detective hat on? I guess slightly, ever so slightly, maybe like halfway on, but um, the hat, the other half was kind of like observing the movie as a whole. But no, I thought it was cool. It is the one element of the movie that I think is not as clever as Reeves thinks it is. And I hate saying that because again, like in terms of performance, tone, pacing, like, and again, the stakes of it all, I think it all works. But I think there are a couple of instances, especially in that last hour of the movie, where I felt like, okay, Edward Nashton, the Riddler, needs to figure out how certain things are going to happen. You know, whether it's the stuff at the stadium or whether it's, you know, this cop needs to be in this place or like uh, Peter Sarsgaard's character, forgive me, I'm forgetting his name, but like he has to be in this club at this time. Like there are certain things that even a genius as him, I can't quite put my finger around. And I know that it's the idea of like, you know, we mentioned it's, you know, it's slightly camp. It goes into the more complicated things like that. But like for something that is supposed to be so grounded in like a mortal man's brain, something about that didn't quite click for me. I think we should kind of pick apart what that finale represents. So when we had the Riddler locked up, um, you know, we had that confrontation with Batman and at least for myself and Danielle, we were thinking like, oh, does he know he's Bruce Wayne? Does he not? Um, And then he reveals his final play is flooding Gotham. Did you feel that that was the, the, it's almost after the climax is it not like what how did you feel that fit into the story like were you satisfied with the flooding of gotham with the riddlers like invading um that sort of sanctuary for the city um how did you feel around that because i think i'm still putting together how how i felt in term in the larger scale of of the movie um brandon let's hear from you i mean for me i think you know going back to that whole alfred discussion that we had like there has to be certain stakes in this movie for it to work and i I don't know if it needs to be this, but I'm glad it is. I think the whole mass flooding of Gotham angle, and especially the idea of, and if I may be so pretentious, like the idea of like the great flood of like, if the Gotham is the idea of Sodom and Gomorrah and the Bible and the idea of like the flood washing it away. Like I, I like the sort of biblical implications that Reeves brings to it, especially going back to the ending where like Batman is that kind of guardian angel figure. Like there's more like religious iconography in here that I think people give it credit for, but I like just the stakes behind it as a whole. Like you're dealing with, Yes, the flood and, you know, the electric currents, but also, like, all the Riddler goons coming in. Like, it's a really well-set-up finale, let alone the fact that Reeves knows how to shoot action, like, his life depends on it. But at the same time, I think just the stakes of it all between the two. The one thing I didn't quite love was the whole thing of Bruce getting shot and then just immediately getting up afterwards. Like, that seemed a bit too quick. But I think if you had taken that out, I had no issues with it. You know, I actually like texted some friends about this and uh, they were they would say that, you know, one of the things that they would change about the movie, they felt like it was in their words, kind of a little rushed and anti-classic in a way. But um, there's a lot happening, obviously. Um, I, I think for what it is, it's it's OK. I wouldn't say it's necessarily like my favorite into a movie ever. And I guess more so. But I guess. Maybe that's based on what happens after that scene, because I think we do have to mention the Joker, right? Like the fact that the Joker is like, that's, you know, the big reveal, like, you know, Gotham's biggest villain is in the cell after the Riddler gets captured. 
And, you know, I guess my thing is I don't really, here's my thing. I have some conflicting opinions about like the Joker for this movie is that we've seen four live action Jokers in movies. That's, that's one more than we've seen live action Spider-Man in uh, movies. So that kind of just brings up how prevalent, I guess the Joker has been in movies. And I guess my thing is, I don't know if we need to see him as a main villain. I, I would like to see personally somebody new for the next main villain uh, for the Batman universe, just because we've seen it so much. I would like for Matt Reeves to zag instead of Zig here. I know that the Joker is the most iconic villain in Batman's, um, you know, rogues gallery, but he has a entire rogues gallery of villains, some of which we have not seen on screen yet. So I would like to, you know, focus a little bit on one of those villains that either has not gotten as much shine as the Joker, or maybe has not gotten shine at all. Maybe like the quarter of owls or something, just introduce somebody new to the mix that we haven't seen on screen. Um, but, and, and I guess to touch one more on the Riddler point, since uh, you brought it up, it was a little bit confusing because at the end of the movie, did Paul Dano's Riddler, did he break out of the prison? Was that the Riddler that Batman was beating up at the end there? Cause it looked very similar, but I couldn't tell because like either it's a different Riddler or it's like the same Riddler. Like, do you guys know? Um, so basically like what happened was he had a bunch of followers. I mean, they said 500, it really wasn't that much, but whatever he had these followers and, um, basically he had them like he he like got them in on the plan and had them go um yeah i know that i guess i'm just wondering like the last person he was beating up at the end was that the paul dano riddler or was that somebody yeah. else i think it's it really more of a case of like a faceless goon of just like oh the riddler yeah. will always be there yeah i guess that, that was my problem though it's like if you're gonna pick like a, a random guy i guess i would say like you should pick somebody that looks at least significantly different than Paul Dano because like we were watching the movie there and like the people I saw with this was like that guy looks exactly or at least looks close to Paul Dano so we thought that that might have been Paul Dano at the end there so I would just say that uh not the best uh casting choice there um I feel like they could just like gone with somebody else for that final scene but um you know other chaos sorry go ahead that's his last riddle Sky he's like which one am I that's his last riddle I, I guess. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It seems a little bit chaotic. I don't know. It seems like better casting because obviously like there are going to be people coming out of this movie, I think asking the same question, like, Oh, did he actually break out and then get, you know, put back in. But um, I guess now just, what are your thoughts on the Joker though? Cause obviously I think that is a big reveal in the movie. Danielle. Okay. I do want to talk about the Joker. I have some thoughts on the flooding. So let me say that first. Um, so that was the point in the movie where I was like, are we done? Like, are we going to keep bringing in these huge plot points? So for me, I was like, really now the city's flooded. Like this is a little too much, but there were some things that I did really like about it. That kind of changed my mind. Um, one of them was when like the structure falls down on a bunch of people and he goes down and it like moves it and is kind of pulling them out one by one. Um, and I think that really highlights like the fact that the Batman, he can't do everything. He, again, like I said, is just kind of a guy in a suit. He does what he can, but he really believes in his community and is really dedicated to helping his community, even if that's just standing in water and helping out people one by one. So I really liked that movie and what it brought to his character, or sorry, that part of the movie and what it brought to his character. Um, I also like the ending where he has this monologue and he's talking about how like, even though there was this huge flood, that's actually bringing more crime and more looting. And like, there's more for him to do. And 
again, it just kind of brings in this idea of like, he cannot do everything, but he's doing his best. And even though to other people, it seems hopeless, he doesn't believe that. So I really liked that. As for the Joker, um, I think that we've just been oversaturated with Joker content. I understand he's the most iconic Batman villain, but enough is enough. And with this movie, I was like, okay, the Penguin and the Riddler are going to be in this. I don't know that much about them, but they're not the Joker. That's great. Finally, a movie without the Joker. And I love Barry Keown. So halfway through the movie, I was like, where is he? I haven't seen him yet. Um, And then I realized he was the Joker. And the question just became whether my love of him outweighs my hatred of the Joker. And I think that it might. I mean, we'll have to see how he does as the Joker. Um, But I do really love him. And if I gave Batman a chance for Robert Pattinson, I will give the Joker a chance for him. Um, And I love him as an actor. I think he's going to kill it. But I do agree that, like, I don't think we need the Joker to be in every single Batman movie that we have had in, you know, this decade. I want to go back to the Riddler thing for just a second. I think it's telling how Riddler's followers almost, you mentioned the lookalike. I think there's telling how a very incel-like villain recruits people who look exactly like him. I think there's something telling about that. That being said, the whole idea about the Joker, I initially liked it. And as I went down later on, like Matt Reeves confirmed it, I was like, you're just, okay, you're doing Joker. It's Barry Keon, who's fantastic. But at the same time, I was like, I don't know if we need this, especially because of how much speculation there's been of like, oh, Reeves wants to use like Court of the Owls and Mr. Freeze and like Man Bad and like all these like cool villains. And like, we're just bringing back Joker, even if it is a really talented portrayal of it. Sky and I, dude, we must have watched, we must have been right next to each other because when I was watching it, I was like, um, I, I was in my, in my little friend group. I was the one who was like, when we walked out of the theater, yo, can you believe they did that in, in the asylum? Yeah. Who was laughing? That was Two-Face. <laughs> they were like, what? And I was like, no, that was Two-Face, you guys. And they're like, what are you talking about? That was the Joker. Like, didn't you hear that laugh? Like, didn't you hear them say, you know, you're, you're at the top and the next day you're a clown. And I was like, that's that's literally like a joke like why would the joker why would he do that like it's too on the nose for me so i was like that's why it's two-faced like oh i can't wait for them to do something like that they're like no it's definitely the joker and then i got like confirmation with brandon and so i was like oh damn like that's a little embarrassing but it's to the same point like it the joker is kind of the villain that we expect to face off against batman in the same way we've seen it before now four times like um there was a poll going around on twitter on like what the next matt reeves batman villain should be and i voted mr freeze because i thought mr freeze could bring especially with this kind of like this kind of framing of the batman villains like they're not as ridiculous as they are um in other iterations like mr freeze could be terrifying I didn't have too many points to add to what that finale meant for me. Um, a big one. I appreciate the movie as a whole because I do think that it's still, it's still fitting for like what Batman has to do ultimately, like to, to be the hero his community needs him to be that we didn't see like in, uh, in the earlier scenes. Um, he, it's not really a scene for him to save a large, like to save the city essentially until we get to that final mark. Um, but I almost felt like it was, yeah, it was that part of the movie where I thought, oh, is I thought this was going to end like a couple a couple points ago. But okay, next plot device. It seems like Matt Reeves really wants to do like a grounded take without any supernatural stuff. So it would just be interesting to see, like, although he has also expressed interest in doing a grounded Mr. Freeze, or at least saying like, maybe there is a story to tell with that character. It would be interesting to see him tackle that, but then I guess I'm just wondering what would Mr. Freeze look like in this Matt Reeves universe? There is also, I think, a point of contention of like the scale of like grounded characters because Mr. Freeze is not the most outlandish Batman villain. 
Mr. Freeze, excluding like, you know, the Batman and Robin portrayal with Arnold Schwarzenegger, like he's actually very much this very serious, you know, um, Batman villain that I think it also has a cause, which I mean, obviously he's still a villain, but he's ultimately trying to save his wife, you know, like that seems to be like the heart of his story and the core to his story. So he is somebody that is different from the Joker. Like the Joker is just trying to cause chaos for the sake of causing chaos. And that makes him, you know, in some ways, like a, the most, the scariest Batman villain, but Mr. Freeze has a way where it's like, okay, like he's definitely the bad guy, but his heart, you can at least tell like why he's doing the stuff that he's doing. I want to start winding this down discussion. I want to get to ratings and obviously standout moments as well. I do want to quickly go off that real quick. You know, we, we've speculated to no end about like where this universe goes, whether it's tied into the larger DCU, that doesn't really matter. But like, where would you see this approach going, whether or not it's villains, whether or not it's characters introduced, whether or not it's Bruce's journey? I pose the question to all of you, like, where would you take this next? I would like to see more Bruce Wayne incorporated into this, because like I said, I think that we only got the only time we saw Bruce Wayne, his personality is pretty much like Batman. So I would like to see Robert Pattinson now be able to play more with the Bruce Wayne personality, flex his chops or have the freedom to flex his chops a little bit more in that capacity. Um, I would like to see, like I said, a different villain, a different main villain from Joker. Like if you still want to incorporate Joker in the movie, just don't have him be the main villain. I would just like them to zag on that. And then I don't know, I guess I would like to see, I don't know, just a, a few more exciting moments. Like, I feel like this movie, I think is a cool movie. I don't know if it was necessarily like, it would be the most fun movie for like people that. I don't know, are just trying to go to have like a fun time at the movies. So maybe just not to say a lot, because I do like the cool noir atmosphere, but just a little bit more fun. So those would be the three main things that I would focus on going forward. And yeah, okay, the next one to be less long as well. That's I don't think we need a trilogy of three hour long Batman movies. This is not Lord of the Rings. Uh, <laughs> although, although I do think there's a conversation about Peter Jackson and that reason structural uh, concepts that I'd like to explore. That being said about what Batman could go through next, I don't want him connected. I don't want to bring in like Superman or anything like this. I want a Batman-centric family, which is why I want Robin. I want Dick Grayson as a... I've heard people speculate that like his parents are like a victim of the flood and like he becomes a child of Gotham. Like that's kind of a neat idea. Or maybe even bringing like Jason and him as like a dichotomy to do. And Sky, I know you have a point. No, I just wanted to pose this theory because honestly, I was just thinking about it right at the movie. Do you think the kid he saves at the end becomes Robin? To be honest, I don't have like that much knowledge on the Robin, so um, I really don't know. I mean, I think it would be cool because I don't have that much knowledge on them. So to be able to like see an interpretation of Robin on screen would be really great. Um, other than that, I don't have like that many thoughts about it. To be honest, it'd be cool, but I don't really know that much. Well, it would give us immediately like the the relationship between uh, Batman and Robin, where he is like imagining him like being that young he becomes sort of he becomes the mentor and the father figure to him and that's worked so well in so many other stuff like i, I love seeing that relationship explored but i don't know if i'm ready yet because i just got used to matt reeves is like this this um scowling bat in the in the shadows who is like not even nice when he's unmasked so um, so basically if there was a trilogy of batman movies you would like it to be without robin is that what you're saying? Or are you saying that you don't want that personal kid to be Robin? I think the future of Matt Reeves' Batman is just like you said, that you want it to be condensed. I would be looking for Gotham is partially flooded now. I Crime is even 
even worse off. And so if we got something that was more in the vein of I'm a big action fan and that's that stands true here. Like I was a fan of the action that we got to see here. If we got something that was like an hour, 40 minutes, almost like John Wick style of Batman, just navigating a gruesome Gotham incorporate, you know, smaller villains that we're unfamiliar with to see some of that comic book uh, correlation I'd be here for, but something that is fast moving and maybe even just keeps him in the Batman suit the entire time, because we know that that's what he's amazing in, but the exploration of Bruce Wayne would be hard to do, I think, in that kind of setting. But that's that's where my mind goes. Like, that's what I would just love to see. You know, bring in Selena Kyle. She'll be there for a chapter and then she'll dip on the motorcycle again. Give us Batman on jet skis. Yes. <laughs> I, I will quickly say about the Robin points. I love the idea of Bruce having to, at the end of the movie, reconcile with his own sense of mortality. And then, and then the second movie being like, oh, I can survive for my community. Now I have like a ward and like a family, the Bat family. So like, I like that idea of like that being the progression of it. But I also get the idea of like Robin is a very specific character to deal with. Um, and then as far as villains go, like Mr. Freeze would be great. I want to see Clayface at some point. I think Reeves could do a really good Clayface incarnation. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree like with what you guys said. I want it to be like more grounded. I really don't want Supernatural. I don't want him teaming up with anyone else. Like I really want this to be focused on Batman and Gotham. Um, I also would like to see more of an exploration of who Bruce Wayne is and how he fits into the Batman persona. Um, And I also, I mean, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I know that it was dark, but I thought the humor was great. I thought it was very camp. I loved it. So I would love to see more of that tone going forward. Um, I really hope that they keep that in the future. And as for the Joker, I don't know. I'll see what I think when it happens. Um, Like I said, I'm excited for Barry Keown. I, I don't, I, I, I would love for there to be a different main villain, but given that the Joker's now in it, I think he is going to be the main villain. So I guess we'll just see what happens with that. And there's always the chance that it's a cop out. Like maybe he's just in there and he's just never the main villain. We do need to wrap this up. I just want to turn it over to all of you guys. Uh, last moment or moment or aspect of the movie that maybe you'd like to get across. I just want to quickly start because mine's going to be quick. The music. We didn't get to talk about it yet. Michael Giacchino's score is phenomenal. It might be one of his best, and that's saying something. But I think somewhere, in, uh, something in the way from Nirvana might be one of the best uses of a song in a superhero movie since like Thunderstruck from Iron Man or any of James Gunn's pick from his properties. I absolutely adore the music here, and I could listen to it all day. Anyways, Sky, over to you. Aspect that you want to get across. I guess I, I don't feel like I have any like final thoughts. I feel like you know I got everything that's I got across. Like like I said, you know the detective aspect of it, I think does really separated obviously everybody's going to have their different batmans of the era and their favorite batman films but i do feel like the the detective aspect does separate it a little bit not saying it's better but it does at least have like a unique place from like you know the nolan trilogy and some other movies just the fact that okay this is really a detective movie more than a superhero movie so I guess, yeah, that's, I would say the aspect of it that makes this like the most unique. The only thing that I really didn't get to talk about are the wigs. Brandon knows I I love to talk about wigs in media. Um, And I just want to talk about Selena Kyle because um, I like, I have no background in cosmetology or anything, but her first wig was really great, but I really liked the pink one best. I thought that that one was great. Um, And the scene where she had it, where she's confronting her dad, it was just great. Um, So that's my personal opinion uh, on the wigs. I've been waiting to hear that all day. Noah, over to you. 
Uh, last note is I'm a sucker for that, ro- that that tension. Sometimes it's romantic. Sometimes it's just something passion driven. And uh, we really get a beautiful moment between the bat and the cat as they're on their motorcycles in the last scene where they kind of split apart, but then they come together and they they play with each other on their bikes. And even that, like I thought was, was a touching moment for uh, two characters who aren't always as vulnerable with each other. So um, y- you can take it away, Brandon, with ratings. For me, this is, again, an incredibly, incredibly strong 9 out of 10. If the writing was just a bit tighter, I would boop it up to a 9.5, but I think this is really revelatory in terms of call-up content. It combines noir and sex in a way that I didn't think was possible. It's Reeves at his most straightforward and yet still complex in his imagery. I love Robert Pattinson's take on the character. I think it's grimy and has so much room to grow. I love the visuals of it. I love the aesthetics of Gotham, but I also love like, what it has to say about modern society and like actually has a point to the relevancy of Batman and Bruce's character as well. So I freaking love it. Again, it's not for everyone, but it's for me. High on the list, just like Brandon's, mine's going to be a nine and a half out of 10 uh, for all the reasons mentioned before this, but as well as uh, just coming back to familiar characters that we've seen multiple iterations of and just appreciating the freshness that a new director could bring to it and telling a detective story all throughout um, definitely won me over, even though I approached this thinking, you know, I was just going to walk out just a little bit satisfied. No, I walked out raving about this movie and I am, can't, I cannot wait till I have more time to go do a rewatch and then a third and then probably just wait because it is a long movie and I'll wait to just take it like episodically. Completely agree. Um, I would give it a nine out of 10. I mean, as I said, I was going into this movie only for Robert Pattinson. So um, it, it's a shock to all of us that I'm rating it so high. Um, I overall just loved it so much. There are a couple things I would have changed, but um, I went very excited to go see this movie again. And I'm excited for future movies um, with this cast. So what's the, so what's the rating system for like when it starts being good? Cause here's the thing. I feel like, I guess, you know, I, I won't go with the rating, but I pretty much like stick with my belief that I think it's good. I liked it. I just wasn't like necessarily over the moon about it. Like every other, like a lot of other people. So I would just say like, it's a good movie. I'll rewatch it at some point, but probably not immediately because as Noah brought up, it's, it's a long movie. I'll probably wait till it comes out on HBO max. And I think that is a fair enough place to start. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in to our spoiler mini-sode for The Batman. If you are checking us out on Spotify, follow us there. If you're checking on the Apple Podcasts, follow us there. Follow us on RSS feed if you follow us there as well. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Plot Devices Pod. That's Twitter and Instagram at Plot Devices Pod. I want to thank our guests for today. First of all, Sky Merida from No Caps Acquired. Where can the people find you online and what do you got going on in your life? No, for sure. Um, you can follow us at No Capes Acquired on Instagram at Zero Capes Acquired on Twitter. And uh, our next episode, we're actually doing a hero bracket that Brandon will be a part of. So tune into that next week. And then we also actually had a Batman review. I actually brought on uh, my former co-host, Doug Gardner, the Supreme Phenom. Uh, He's back. So definitely uh, go check that out as well. And also joining us, Danielle Bokenkamp. I know, Danielle, you are not super active on social media, but if there's anything you'd like to plug, please go ahead. I don't have anything movie related going on, but I do love to give my opinions, especially on my social media. So um, you're welcome to follow me on Instagram at Danielle.BokenCamp. I'll let Brandon type that into the description. Um, so you don't have to worry about trying to spell it. That will be in the description as well as Noah and I's info because our timestamp is also about to run out. From myself, from Noah Guzman, from our special guest, this has been the Batman Spoiler Review. This has been Plot Devices, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>